Amen. Not by anything that I have done, but because of everything that he has done. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me, Romans chapter 5. We will continue this morning our expository study through the book of Romans. We are in the 25th lesson, and we are at the beginning of chapter 5. We'll be on the first five verses of chapter 5 this morning. Amen. I don't know how far into this we can get uh, in the next four weeks. Uh, I, I, I doubt very seriously uh, that we get out of the fifth chapter, but in the month of August... Uh, we're doing uh, a, a different schedule. We're changing everything in the month of August, so we will to actually take a month-long break from this study. But we're just going to press on until we get to that place, and wherever we break, that's where we're going to break. Amen. And then we'll pick it back up again on the other side. Amen. But Romans chapter 5, beginning with uh, verse 1. Chapter 5 concludes, kind of wraps up, this discussion of justification by faith and it gets us ready for a discussion of sanctification which is going to happen in chapter 6 and 7 and 8 so chapter 5 is a transitional chapter Paul has spent the last two chapters chapters 3 and 4 explaining and proving the doctrine of justification by faith now in this transitional chapter what he does is he examines the blessings of justification by faith, the blessings that accompany our newfound right standing with God. The point of chapter 5 is that justification by faith brings results into our life. There are lasting benefits that come from being in right standing with God. It is a complete solution for man's Condition. We started back in chapter 1 and we defined the dilemma of humanity. We defined the condition of humanity. And then we spent all this time talking about how to get in right standing with God. And what we're going to discover now is that that it puts us in a, in a, it's a permanent solution. It's a, it's a complete solution to man's dilemma. Amen. We can live in right standing with God. We don't have to live like was described in chapter 1. Amen? And that is a good segue then to a discussion of sanctification in verses uh, chapter 6, 7, and 8 because that has to do with how we live. Amen? Justification is that legal right standing with God, but sanctification is that separation unto God. It's how we live our lives. Amen? So Paul will answer that question, how then should we live? Once we've been saved. But today we begin chapter 5. I'm going to read the first five verses. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. That's our text for this morning. 
Amen. We'll begin with chapter, verse 1, and I'm, I'm going to read it again. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So in the previous chapters, we have established the fact that we are not justified by works. We are not justified by the ordinances of the law. We are not justified by our obedience to the law. We're justified by faith. And so Paul starts chapter 5 with the conclusion that we have peace because we are justified by faith. If we were justified by our works, then we would never have peace because our works would always fall short. If we were justified by the ordinances of the law, then we would never have peace because the law would always condemn us. If we were justified by our obedience to the law, then we would never have peace because our obedience would always miss the mark. It would never measure up. But since we are justified by our faith, we have peace. Because our peace is based on the work that Jesus did, not the works that we have done. Amen? So Paul says, concluding the, the discussion of justification, concluding the arguments that prove justification by faith, he says, therefore, based on all that's gone before, based on chapter 3, in chapter 4, chapter 5 starts with, Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word peace comes from a Greek verb which means to bind together that which has been separated. At the cross, the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ made peace for us. We had been separated from God. By our sin. Do you understand? That's what sin does. Sin separates. Amen. Sin drives a wedge of division between you and God. It puts a gulf in between you and God. We were separated from God and we could not be reunited. We could not be bound back together with him by anything that we would do. The heritage of the first man, Adam, condemned us. Before we were ever born, we were condemned. The scripture says that we were formed in iniquity. We were conceived in sin. We never had any hope. But the second man, Adam, Jesus Christ, established a way for us to be reunited with God. His sacrifice binds together again those who had been separated from God. The sinner is reconciled to God by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Uh, amen. It binds us back together again with God. It makes us able to be back in relationship with God. That which was separated by sin is now reunited by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the first blessing of justification by faith is peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a reestablishment of that right standing 
with God. The word peace can have a lot of meanings. It can mean serenity. It can mean tranquility. It can mean a lot of different things. But the peace that Paul is talking about is not the kind of peace that you get whenever you get in a quiet room, turn off the cell phone, and, and there's nobody talking. You actually have a few moments to really enjoy the solitude of being alone. That's not the kind of peace that Paul is talking about. The kind of peace that Paul is talking about is not a state of mind. It's not a, a condition of serenity or tranquility. It actually means to be restored to right standing with God, to bring back together again that which was separated. There is a peace that is derived from a genuine relationship with God, from being restored to right standing with God. You can have peace based on the blood of Jesus Christ because you are now in right standing with God. Before he justified me, I was the enemy of God. Before the blood of Jesus covered me, I was a sinner under the wrath of God, under the threat of divine judgment. Amen. I had nothing to look forward to but a certain fearful anticipation of the judgment of God before his blood covered me. Amen. I was bound to be judged and I was bound to come up short. There was a, a bridge, I mean a gulf between me and God that I, I had no way to bridge it. I had no way to get to him. I had no way to find his mercy. I had no way to find his grace. I was forever separated from him. But now by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the cross, I have peace because I'm in right standing with God. My past no longer condemns me. My sins and my failures no longer hang over my head. All of the things that I have done wrong and all of the past that has haunted me and all of the things that kept me away from God and kept me separated from God are now under the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm in right standing with God. The phrase says, we have peace with God. That word with is the Greek word for facing. It literally means that we have peace when facing God. In other words, we stand in the presence of God facing Him, and we are guiltless. We have righteousness through the blood of Jesus Christ, and it is a righteousness that is acceptable to God. It's not self-righteousness. It's not a justification that we have somehow established on the basis of our own merit. This is a righteousness that is founded on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and it is a righteousness that satisfies God. That's what it means to have peace with God. I, I can in, in the in, when I face God, I don't have to hide from Him. 
I don't have to go go try to obscure my the reality of my life from God. I don't have to avoid church. I don't have to avoid the presence of God. I don't have to avoid the word of God. I can face God because I have peace in my life. I don't have to live my life in shame uh, for what I've done. Uh, I don't have to live my life in shame uh, of where I've been. Uh, amen. I don't have to walk into the presence of God with my head bowed uh, in shame uh, of my sin and my past. I can face him with peace. There's a lot there, my friend, to be able to stand in the presence of God and know I can face him. I can have relationship with him. I can be in right standing with him because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ that covers me. Not by anything I did. The best of my good works is filthy rags before him but because of his blood that covers me I can actually face God and have peace that's a strong statement so he said that we we rejoice amen therefore being justified we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and verse 2 says by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So in verse 1, we establish that we have peace by the blood of Jesus. Now in verse 2, we establish that through his blood, we have access to the grace of God. Not only do we have, we can, we're in right standing with God, face to face with God, we have peace with God, but now we have access by faith into the grace of God wherein we stand. Think about it. Thank God for grace. Thank God for his unmerited favor. Thank God that he has given me, he has blessed me beyond what I deserved. I didn't deserve this. I didn't earn this. He's given me something I didn't earn. He has blessed me with his grace. I have gained access through the blood of Jesus Christ in my life, through faith, to the grace of God. Through the blood of the Lamb, I have gained access to his grace. We have access by faith into this grace, he says, wherein we Stand. The word stand is translated from a perfect tense verb used in the present tense. The idea seems to be that we continually abide and exist within this state of grace. We've gained access to it. And our standing here is settled. We we stand here. Amen. We gained access to it. And it's not a tenuous thing. It's not a hit or miss proposition. I don't have to get up in the morning and worry about whether or not the grace of God is going to be there for me. I stand in it. Amen. I don't have to get up in the morning and wonder if God's going to be in a good mood or a bad mood. Amen. I stand in the grace of God. He loves me. He washed me. He purified me. He put me in right relationship with him. And as long as I maintain my relationship with him, I'm standing in the grace of God. His grace is going to be there. 
It is the foundation upon which I stand. I'm not clinging to it by my fingertips. It is a firm foundation. It's not something that is on again and off again in my life. It is real every single day as I walk with him, as I talk with him, as I maintain my relationship with him, as I faithfully maintain that peace that I have with God. How do you how do you do that? I mean, every now and then you stumble. Every now and then you make. How do you maintain that that right standing with God? You know, you know. Whenever you can't stand face to face with God, you know. Whenever you you've messed up and you need to find a place of repentance and you need to bend your knees somewhere in the presence of God and your flesh doesn't want to because your flesh knows amen that it can't stand face to face with God you know the difference between being in right standing with God and not being in right standing with God what Paul tells me is if I maintain that if I keep that if I keep myself where I can stand face to face with God I stand I've gained access to the grace of God and I stand in it Amen. I didn't earn this by my works. I didn't earn this by what I've done. And I don't have to earn it every day that I live. I've got to walk in it. I've got to walk in a relationship with God because this grace, the peace came first. And this grace flows from that relationship. This grace flows from that right standing with God. And if I maintain that right standing with God, if I maintain that relationship with God, I don't have to worry about whether or not grace is going to be there. Grace is always going to be there for me. Amen. Because I have peace with God. And I stand in the grace of God. And then he says, because we stand in the grace of God, we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. I told you last, I guess it was two weeks ago we, when we brought the word hope up that we were going to see a whole lot of the word hope as we move through the book of Romans. And here it is again. We, we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. You remember what I said about hope as, as expressed in the biblical sense. It, it's not an unsubstantiated wish. This isn't just some uh, some some fanciful longing uh, I can hope that when I get home there will be a Cadillac in my driveway with a, with a bill of sale there that says I didn't have to pay for it and it belongs to me but all that hope isn't going to get me anywhere because it's not founded in reality but the kind of hope that I have in a biblical sense is hope that is based on the word of God on the promise of God amen it's, it's not an unfounded longing but it is a confident expectation that God will do what he said he would do. So he said because we were in right standing, God, we have peace with God, we've gained access to the grace of God wherein we stand, then we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. We have a confident expectation that we will see God's glory revealed in us and through us. One of these days we're going to see him. One of these days, we're going to see his glory fully. It's not just something that we want to happen. It is something that God has promised will happen. It's not just some fanciful dream that we have. It is promised by the word of God, we will see the glory of God revealed. It's a future tense 
hope of what we're striving for. What's happened here is that in the first two verses of chapter 5, Paul has connected our salvation to both a present relationship with God and a future revelation of God's glory. We have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Peace defines our present relationship with God. It is the reality right now. And because of that reality, we have access through faith to stand in the grace of God. And because we stand in the grace of God, we have the hope of glory. The hope of glory defines our future tense relationship with God. It points to our heavenly inheritance that is yet to come. We don't look forward to judgment with fear in our hearts. We don't look forward to that final day with doubt and fear because we have confidence that the blood of Jesus Christ puts us in right standing with God and right now we have peace with God and that peace burrs within us the hope that in, in on that future day we're going to see the glory of God Amen. you don't have to wonder about whether or not you're saved you can know right now what's going to happen on judgment day if you have peace right now then you have the hope of glory Amen. If you've got peace right now, then you have the assurance of what's going to happen on the other side. Amen. It matters that you maintain that peace in your life. Amen. We rejoice, Paul said. I want to note something here about the word rejoice in verse 2. That, that Greek word that appears in verse 2 that is translated as rejoice appears again in verse 3 and appears again in verse 11. And in one of those anomalies of translation, the, the King James Bible translates that verb three different ways in three different verses in the same chapter. And so here uh, it, it's translated as to rejoice. And I, Well, the reason I point this out is because it's beneficial to note that this is the same verb. It's the same word all three times. And, and the, the meanings that are given to it in the King James translation are synonymous. They are similar. But it's interesting to note that this is the same word. In chapter 5, verse 2, it is translated as to rejoice. It says, wherein we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. In verse 3, it is translated as to glory. It says we glory in tribulation in verse 11 it is translated as to joy it says that we joy in God himself what I want you to know here is that as we head into verse 3 the word that we've been talking about in verse 2 that is rejoice is the same word that we're going to see in verse 3 translated as glory and it reads this way verse 3 and not only so but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. So Paul, in verse 1 and verse 2, we concluded with the idea that we rejoice in the hope of glory, but Paul said that's not all there is. Not only just that, not only so, but there's more to it. We also glory in tribulations. We, we rejoice in the hope of glory, but we also rejoice in tribulation 
We rejoice in the hope of heaven, but we also rejoice in what we're going through right now. Now, in verse 2, it's easy to see that we ought to rejoice in the hope of God's glory. We ought to rejoice in the hope of heaven. And it's in verse 3 that Paul begins to stretch your understanding of what we really rejoice in. Not only do we rejoice in the hope of God's glory, but we rejoice in tribulation. Let's talk about tribulation for a minute. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that has been impacted by sin. And because of the effects of sin, every man, woman, and child that ever lives experiences tribulations in the forms of suffering, sickness, even death as a result of sin. Everything in this world is deteriorating. Everything in this world is breaking down. That is the heritage of Adam. That is the heritage of sin. Just because we've been redeemed, just because we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, just because we've become a part of the church doesn't mean that somehow we're shielded from that. It doesn't mean that we are exempted from the tribulations of life. To the contrary, the Scripture says that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. All men are subject to time and circumstance. As a matter of fact, the argument could easily be made that because the Christian is subject to be persecuted for his faith in God, we may even be a little more apt or a little bit more likely to suffer tribulation than others in the world. If we aren't careful then, when we suffer trial and tribulation, if we're not cautious... We can allow the dark clouds of present suffering to obscure the hope of future glory. If we're not careful, we'll let the problems, the trials of this life block out from us that hope of glory that sustains us. So Paul points out the fact that we don't just rejoice in heaven. We don't just rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice also in our present suffering. Now, there's, there's one for you to chew on. Amen. The suffering is a, ca- a reason for rejoicing. That was the mindset of the early church. Acts chapter 5, verse 41 tells us that they rejoiced because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame. James told the church in James 1 and 2 to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. When when life happens to you, whenever circumstances overwhelm, just count it all joy. It is a mindset that recognizes that troubles and tribulations don't undermine faith. Trial and tribulation, let's let's be very honest, and we're going to establish it in Scripture before we get done with this passage this morning. Trial and tribulation strengthens faith. It doesn't destroy it. There's a message there. 
It's a message that Paul preached in Acts, the 14th chapter. If you remember Acts 14, they stoned Paul outside of Lystra and they left him for dead under a pile of rocks. And whenever Paul came to, he got up and he got out of the dirt and brushed off the the, the dust. And and I'm sure they treated his bruises and his wounds. And the Bible said he went right back into that city and he began to preach again. And in just the next verse or two later, it tells us that he preached to the church that we enter into the kingdom of God through tribulation. He said that that trouble and that trial, that's not meant to destroy you. That's what strengthens you. In other words, the opposition was never meant to destroy your faith. The trouble and tribulation of life was never meant to weaken you in your standing with God. It serves to strengthen you. Suffering, trouble, trial in this present life should not destroy your hope of glory. Instead, it should strengthen your hope. That's the mindset that gives rise to the declaration, we rejoice in tribulation. Now, Paul explains it in the next few verses in four logical steps. The first is found at the end of verse 3. Tribulation, he says, worketh patience. And the word patience has to do with perseverance or endurance. James 1 and 3 says that the testing of your faith produces patience. So tribulations and troubles and trials and all the, the negative things this life that happen to you, they produce within you perseverance. Perseverance is that characteristic of a man who will not be discouraged, who is deliberate in his loyalty and his faith, regardless of the circumstances that he goes through, he will not quit. In other words, the struggles that attempt to weaken your faith accomplish the opposite effect. For those that are standing firm in the grace of God, those that had peace with God or in right standing with God have by their faith gained access to the grace of God and they're standing in it. And now when trouble comes along, amen, that grace sustains them and it keeps them and it birds within them a spirit of perseverance or as the King James puts it, patience that says, you know what, I'm just going to keep on holding on because I'm sustained by the grace of God. It's not my strength that sustains me. It's his strength. And I can keep holding on because I know he's going to take care of me. And so for those that are standing in the grace of God, it causes you to hold all the more tightly to your faith in God. And then verse 4 says, And patience experience and experience hope so patience produces experience now this is one of those instances where the translation here is really poor the Greek word translated as experience means proof approval or being 
a sense of being approved or a tried, mature character, which is makes it a very difficult word to translate into the English language. It, it speaks of a proven character or something that has been tested and proven by virtue of the fact that it was tested. They didn't just say that it will stand up to a thousand pounds of, of pressure. They tested it, and it's been proven. You know, if I go to the store and I buy a fishing line, I, I want to. If I buy a four-pound test line, I want to know it'll, it'll stand up to four pounds of pressure uh, for the really ultra-light rig. Or if I'm going to buy the fifty-pound catfish line, I want to know that'll hold fifty pounds. Well, they don't just make that claim; they've tested it, they've proven it, they've established it, and that's the meaning of this word. So many modern translations use the word character here. Or even a better translation might be maturity of character. Because it's not just character, it's character that has matured. It's character that has been proven. Perseverance or patience yields character. It yields that maturity of character. The concept that is being conveyed here is that perseverance under trial produces character that has been tested. It produces character that has been tried in the life of a believer that has endured trying times their faith has been put to the test and the faithfulness of God has been proven to them so if we had hope before we were tested if we had hope before we went into the trial how much stronger then will our hope be after we have been tested and have discovered that hope stands the test. So Paul concludes that experience or character produces hope. We have even more confidence in God after the test because the hope that we had going into the test has stood the test and has been strengthened by the test. Amen. So we've learned from our personal experience then that, that God makes all things work together for good to them who are called according to his purpose. Our hope has been strengthened and confirmed by the trial. That's why Paul can say we rejoice in tribulation. Because if you stand in the grace of God, the grace of God is going to keep you through the tribulation. And when you get on the other side, your hope is going to be stronger than it was before you went through the fire. Amen? Verse 5 finally says, Hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So finally, hope maketh not ashamed. The whole process started with hope and now it ends with hope. Through the trial we discover that hope doesn't disappoint us. That's what it means by maketh not ashamed. It doesn't disappoint us. We we went into tribulation with hope and the hope didn't fail us. We went into the trouble with hope and our hope was strengthened through the trial. So we can rejoice in tribulation because tribulation incre increases our hope. 
It works in the opposite manner of what the carnal mind might expect. The carnal mind might expect that tribulation destroys hope. The carnal mind might expect that trouble undermines your faith. But what Paul says and what Scripture demonstrates is that the reality is that it causes us to mature in our faith. And we come out of trouble. We come out of trial. And we come out of persecution stronger in our hope, in our faith. The bottom line here is that if you truly trust God, you'll trust Him through anything. If you truly have faith in God and you have faith enough that you have peace with God face to face and you gain access to the grace of God, then the trial won't destroy you because the grace of God will sustain you. The trial was never meant to destroy you. The trial was meant to strengthen you, to establish the basis of of your hope when you make it through the trial you have to trust God you've got to be able to have faith in him when you go into the dark night when you go into that place where the clouds obscure your vision whenever it seems like the whole world is falling apart you have to trust God and if you trust God and make it through the trial then on the other side of the trial you know that you can trust him And your faith is strengthened by the trial. There's a benefit to the trial. There's a blessing in the storm. doesn't always seem that way. But that's the reality of the situation. It causes you to grow in Christ. It causes you to mature in your faith. Too many people want to throw in the towel when they come into trouble. Just give up. I thought I was living for God. I talked to a man this week. I don't want to get sidetracked and go along. I'm coming. I'm closing very quickly. But I, I told Bob's story a little bit Wednesday night. And Bob told me yesterday, he said, first of all, he said, I want you to know, preacher, God, God's miraculously healed me. He said, I'm up and out of the hospital. I'm home. Prayed for him on Wednesday, on Tuesday. Prayed for him on Tuesday. And they said that he was going to be in the hospital for a week, week and a half. Blood clots in his lungs was was a very, very dire situation. He was worried about his future. On Wednesday, they released him from the hospital. Yesterday, he said, you know, Pastor, I told you that I needed God to show me he was real. I just didn't realize God was going to show me in my own through me. He said, I am the miracle I wanted to see. Amen. And God has worked a great work in Bob's life. And God's doing it. I expect Bob to visit. Bob lives in Cherokee Village. And I expect God to visit with us, during our, Bob to visit with us during our, our August. I talked to him about those 2 o'clock Sundays. And he's going to try to come down. But, but God is doing something wonderful in Bob's life. He has shown him in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the trouble, in the middle of the circumstance. He said, Brother McCall, I'll tell you where I got sidetracked, how I lost out with God. Years and years ago, I made some terrible mistakes as a young man. And he said, I never was able to forgive myself. And he said, what I didn't realize 
was that God had already forgiven me. And what I didn't realize, see, it's a, it's a faith issue. I didn't have faith enough to believe in the middle of my storm that God was on my side. I didn't have faith enough to believe in the middle of the trial that God wasn't going to abandon me. And so I gave up in the middle of a storm, and it's been 20-some-odd years, and, I, and I've been living that way, and I never really understood that all along God was right there. He said it's a miracle that I had my, my episode in Jonesboro and ended up in the hospital in Jonesboro. It was a miracle that somebody in Peoria, Illinois, called me and asked me to go to the hospital and see a man I'd never seen before. He said it was the very grace of God. I'm going to tell you something. God's not going to abandon you in your storm, and 20 years later, he's still reaching for you. That's the truth of the grace of God. That's the truth of the mercy of God. 20 years later, he's still lining up events. I feel the power of God in this house right now. 20 years later, he's still manipulating things to bring you to a place where mercy can reach you, where grace can touch your life. And he says this, and I'm going to finish. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The whole process rest on the love of God he loves you I mean he really loves you God is on your side he cares about you he loves you right where you are he loves you he loves when you failed him he still loved you he loves you and that love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us God filled us with his spirit he filled us with the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost empowers and enables us throughout the whole process we're able to make it through the storm standing in the grace of God why? because of the love of God that's been shed abroad in our heart by the power of the Holy Ghost because when he filled me with the spirit of God when he filled me with the Holy Ghost he gave me an assurance of his love he loves me. He loves me in the middle of my storm. He loves me in the middle of my trial. He loves me. And one thing I can count on, I can't count on this world. I can't count on life to be good all the time. I can't count on my health. I can't count on my banker. I can't even count on my job. But I can count on the love of God. He's never going to abandon me. He's never going to turn his back on me. He's always going to be there for me. Holy Ghost assures us of the love of God which has been shed abroad in our hearts. That Greek word for shed abroad means to be poured out and there's a sense there that it is still being poured out. It's a, it's a present tense. It's a, it's a perfect present tense. It means that it, it's something that is poured out completely and it is continually being poured out. When God gave you the Holy Ghost, he poured his love into you. He didn't just sprinkle it on you. He didn't just give you a little bit. He opened up the windows of heaven and he poured out his love. He didn't hold anything back, but there's more to it than that. There's a sense of an inexhaustible supply of the love of God that is at work in your life. He poured it out and he just keeps on pouring it out. 
and he just keeps on pouring it and pouring it and pouring it and it's never going to be exhausted and it's never going to run out. It's a, it's a fountain continual, amen, that never reaches an end. The tense of the verb implies that it's not just a past tense experience that happened whenever you repented of your sins and you were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins and God filled you with the Holy Ghost on that glorious day. It's not something that just happened somewhere in your past. It's something that is continual. There is a continual pouring out of the Holy Ghost. There's a continual pouring out of the love of God upon the child of God who will walk in it. Can I tell you, God never intended for you to be filled with the Holy Ghost once. God never intended for you just to have that experience one time. There is an inexhaustible supply that is poured out, that just keeps being poured out, that is perpetually available to be poured out. There's a love of God that is shed abroad in your heart, that is shed abroad over and over as many times as you want to experience it, as often as you want to shut yourself away with him, as many times as you'll find an altar and bend your knee, whether it be in your living room or your bedroom or in your car driving down the road or on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night. Wherever you reach out to him, you're going to find an inexhaustible supply of the love of God being poured out over and over and over again as as he fills you and refills you and refills you again and again and again with the baptism of the Holy Ghost or by the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. Listen, I I know I've been long and I'm going to wrap it up real quick. We have peace with God. That's the whole point. Start in verse 1. We have genuine, real peace with God that carries us through our trials and tribulations. Peace in the middle of chaos. Peace in the middle of trouble. Peace that is founded on the great love of God that is shed abroad in our heart. Jesus linked peace with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost when he said in John chapter 14 and verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace, peace, not as the world gives it. The world gives a temporary peace. The world gives a peace that is dependent on circumstances. The world gives a peace that is dependent on your own security. But Jesus said, I give a peace that will sustain you through insecurity. I give a peace that is not as the world gives it, but as I give unto you. A peace that is sustained by the Holy Ghost, by the love of God is shed abroad in your heart. Would you stand with me? Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 6 and 14 and again in Jeremiah 8 and 11 that the world says peace, peace when there is no peace. A lot of people live a life that that says peace, peace but really doesn't have 
put on a front. Put on, how you doing today? Oh, I'm good. When behind that facade is a troubled mind. When behind that front is a heart in anguish. Behind that smile is, is a fear, a dread that grips the very being, the very soul. The kind of anxiety that wakes you up in the middle of the night. The kind of fear that you really don't know where to turn and what to do. You put on the, you project peace. As far as everybody around you knows, everything's fine. Everything's good. But on the inside, there's turmoil and chaos. Jesus said, that's not the kind of peace that I give. That's not the kind of peace that flows from the Holy Ghost. The scripture said, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but that of a sound mind. The kind of peace that flows from the Holy Ghost is sustained by the love of God. It stands in the grace of God and it knows that no matter what happens, no matter what life brings my way, he's going to take care of me. That, my friend, is real peace. On a Sunday morning, can I ask you to find a place of prayer for a few moments today? Would you turn your heart towards heaven? If you're in this house today and perhaps you've been through trials and troubles, perhaps there's been tribulation, perhaps there's been circumstances that have caused you to question where you are and what you're doing, perhaps you find yourself in that place where you're smiling at everybody and you're shaking their hand, you're saying, yeah, it's, it's a good day, I'm doing great, but somewhere on the inside you're hiding a whole lot of hurt and a whole lot of pain. I'm asking you to find your way to a place in the presence of God and let him shed the love of God abroad in your heart again. Let him shed the love of God abroad in your life. Let the power of the Holy Ghost minister to you in this place right now. His peace, His grace, His love, His mercy that will sustain you.